Um, on most of our Sunday mornings this year, we have been going through the book of Revelation. In fact, if you're new here and you're interested, you can go to our website, and I believe right on the front page you can click and find all the sermons that we have preached in this series on that. That has been an enjoyable series, and I really would like to get back to it. But my next message is actually Revelation 20, 11 through 15 on the great white throne judgment. And I think with all that we've been through right now, you need a little break. <laughs> so I'm preaching an encouraging message today, but you pray for wisdom that God would just uh, guide us as we uh, look to get back to that series. We have about three more messages that I'll be preaching on that. And I really am looking forward to our time together. Uh, we've got some great things that are being planned. I'm sorry that there is no children's church this morning, but next Sunday we will be back to having children's church. And uh, so that'll be in, in, in full swing. And uh, we'll be getting together this week with our children's directors and teen directors. And we'll be talking about trying to get some of those meetings started back up. But I appreciate your patience with us in the meantime as we move forward. Isaiah chapter 40, I'd like you to look here beginning at verse number 27. I'm going to read just a few verses right to the end of the chapter. The Bible says here in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known... Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. I believe we have this up on our screen. Would you just look at the screen and say this last verse with me? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. What a tremendous verse, isn't it? Well, let's pray together as I share this subject this morning, waiting on the Lord. Father in heaven, I come before you and ask for your guidance upon these few moments together. This is not a sermon that uh, is to be given and uh, uh, where a man is to be applauded. But Lord, this is your message for your people given here through your servant. I only desire when all is said and done that we give all the honor and the praise and the glory to you and to you alone. Help us to listen. Help us to be quiet, not to worry about the things that may take place later today, this week, but help us truly to be focused on what is before us now. Speak to hearts, I pray, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Probably many of you are familiar with the film that was put out a number of years ago called Chariots of Fire. It's a film about a Christian by the name of Eric Liddell 
who refused to run in the prestigious 100 meters in the 1924 Paris Olympics. And he refused to run in that race because it involved racing in a preheat on Sunday, which Liddell believed to be an ungodly use of his Sunday. Liddell was probably the fastest man that was alive at that time and actually had been the favorite to win for Britain. The press and even the Prince of Wales tried to talk him into running, but he refused. Instead, shortly thereafter on a Sunday, he had gone to the particular church and on that Sunday had heard a sermon from this passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, which you read with me, seemed to capture the whole situation for Liddell. He was thereafter given a chance to race for Britain, not in a 100-meter race, but in a 400-meter race, which he had never run before. And God honored Eric Liddell for his stand. Liddell ran the 400 meters at a 100 meter pace. All the experts that were watching in the stands as he was running that 100 meters so fast thought that he could not finish, but God was on his side and gave him strength, and he won that race and set a new world record. What a wonderful verse that we have before us in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. In my own opinion, I believe that outside of John 3, 16, this verse has probably been one of the most quoted verses. You can find it on bumper stickers, plaques, paintings, pictures, all over the place. But though we may be familiar with that verse and what it says... Many of us who know the Lord as Savior sadly have a great misunderstanding of this verse. And I believe that misunderstanding comes for two main reasons. Number one, in our great opinion, we believe it is so easy to live for God and trust in Him when everything's going well. But I think you're around here and you know well enough that in the last couple of weeks, not all has gone very well. But you know, leading up to the storm, if your life has been easy, you've been kind of coaxing along through life, you have probably said to yourself, boy, this Christian life is really easy. I've got this thing licked. I, I've got all this taken care of. And then a hurricane by the name of Ian came by. <laughs> now, I feel bad for Ian down here in the front. Our dear member here, Ian, has said, why does everybody have to say Hurricane Ian? Why don't we just say it's the storm? But the storm has come by and has ruined our lives, if you will. But I want you to know something, that all of us are going to face hardships, trials, and troubles. James chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. John 16, Jesus said these words, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
And I could go from cover to cover in our Bible and share with you verses that talk about the hardships that we'll face. But I can also share about people in the Bible who have gone through great trials and tragedies. The name Job probably rings a bell to you. People like David and many others went through great hardships and found that though it's easy when life is going well, that the time to wait upon the Lord and trust in Him is at those hard times of life. You know, hardships and trials will come to every person at one time or another. Someone has once said that either you're about ready to go into a trial or you're in the midst of a trial, or you've just come out of a trial. That's the Christian life. We go through these hardships, and all of the hardships come in various sizes and packages. But I believe another reason why we misunderstand this verse is because we wait expecting God to actually remove the trial. Last week in the fellowship hall, I shared about the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, who had actually asked God personally, would you remove this trial from my life? And God, for his own, out of his own wisdom and out of his own choice, decided not to remove the trial, but instead was going to give Paul his grace so Paul could get through that trouble. So what is Isaiah chapter 40 all about? It is easy to misunderstand. It is easy to place our trust in God when all is going well. But I believe as we look at this passage of Scripture that there are four questions that I'd like to answer for you today. The first question is this, what does God want me to do? I love verse 31. Would you look at that again in your Bible? That first phrase says this, but they that, and next word, would you give it to me? Wait. But they that wait upon the Lord. Now, when we use the word wait, how many of you like to wait on somebody? You ever been told somebody you're going to meet them at a particular time and they're five minutes late, 10 minutes late, however long it may be, and we don't like waiting. We're in a society where we want things real quick. But that's not the word wait here. The word wait is not the idea of just sitting on your hands and just passing some idle time. It's very interesting, this word wait. In fact, in the Bible, there are 18 Hebrew words that are translated into the English as the word wait. So I think it's important for us to figure out which word is the one that's, that is a, of a meaning here. Well, the word wait in Isaiah 40, verse 31, literally means to bind together by twisting. The, the idea is to collect together, to gather together all along the way expecting something. In fact, there's a beautiful word picture for this word wait. It is the idea of someone making a rope by twisting or weaving small strings together to form that rope. And the more strands that are twisted, that are woven together in that rope, the stronger that rope is. So when I look at this word weight with that word picture, here's the idea is this. 
It carries with it the idea of a hope in God, an expectation that God will do something. All of you have been affected in some way, uh, whether in a great way or a small way by this storm. All of you here today have gone through other trials in your life. And as we go through these hardships, we start getting together our own desires. We pull together our own wisdom. We pull together our own thoughts on how to remedy the situation. And really what God is saying here for us to wait upon the Lord is this, that you're to take all your wishes, all your dreams, all your thoughts, all your wisdom, and you're to tie that all together and expect that God's going to do something through you. My friend, I want to tell you something. God wants to work through you, but he wants you to put aside what you think you can do. He wants you to put aside all of the, your strength, your wisdom, and to say, God, I'm expecting you to do something. I'm hoping, I'm waiting upon you. How can this be applied to my struggle? Well, whatever it is that you're going through today, it might be you're already past all this stuff. You, you've gotten things taken care of at your home, but you may face the loss of a loved one. You may find out that you get cancer this week. You may have some struggle that you face. Can I say that in the midst of every struggle, however big it is, however small it is, that you wait upon the Lord. So what is it that we're to do? We're to wait upon the Lord. Question number two, could I give you this from verses 27 to 29? Who is this God that I'm to wait upon? Who is this God that I'm to wait upon? Now, it's very interesting in this passage of Scripture that we read because this has a great application for us today in 2022. But do you realize that this was written humanly by a man by the name of Isaiah who was a prophet ministering to certain kings at a particular time over the country of Judah? And Judah had already watched her sister nation, Israel, had already gone into captivity. And the reason they had gone into captivity was because they had ignored God, disobeyed him, and decided that they were going to follow their own way. They were going to listen to all the opinions of the nations around them. They were going to look to the strength of all the other nations. And God, through the prophets, is telling Judah Look what's happened to your sister. Look where they are now in judgment. And if you don't change your ways, judgment will also come upon you. You know what Judah started saying to themselves? God's forgotten us. God doesn't care about us. God doesn't hear us. God doesn't know what's going on. And it might be that in your trial, you might say this, God doesn't even hear me. God doesn't know what's going on. God doesn't even care about me. But I want to share with you verse number 9 of Isaiah chapter 40, three words that Isaiah points out to them. He says, behold your God. My friend, I want to tell you something. In the midst of your struggle today, behold your God. You know what you're doing today? You're beholding your troubles you're beholding your trials. You're beholding all the hardships that are around you. But Isaiah is reminding the people then, and here today as a messenger of God, I'm reminding you, behold your God. What's the God that we serve? 
I want to tell you something. The God we serve is an all-knowing God. I love these words in verse 27 and following here. He talks about in verse 28 that we serve a God that fainteth not. Can I say to you, God knows everything. In fact, there are no surprises with God. After Hurricane Ian happened, I'm sorry, Ian, sorry about that. I just have it. But after the storm took place on Wednesday and Thursday we got up, God didn't all of a sudden say, oh my, I can't believe that happened down there in Englewood. I'm really sorry. Oops. No, I want to tell you something. God knew everything that's going on. In fact, God is so aware God never sleeps. He's not weary where he just dozes off and then is caught by surprise. God knows every little thing that goes on in this world. In fact, I can say to you today, according to Scripture, God knows the number of the hairs on your head. Now, with people like Paul King, that's a little bit easier. Terry Sims, that's a little easier. You know, you've made it easy for God to count the number of the hairs on your head. But you know, God knows how many numbers of hairs on your head. In fact, the Bible even tells us that when a sparrow falls, God sees it. That's something that would seem insignificant to us, and we may not even be aware of it, but the God that you and I serve sees it. He knows it. In fact, your circumstances, because of those truths, your circumstances are no surprise to God. Your troubles do not move God in the sense that he's caught off guard. He knew it was coming, and he already has an answer for it because this phrase in verse number 28, there is no searching of his understanding. There's no searching of his understanding. You know, I wish I had time this morning to take you to Psalm 139, but I'd encourage you this afternoon to read through that beautiful Psalm, chapter 139. When you look at the first few verses, it talks about how God knows us through and through. God knows everything about us. He knows us entirely. In fact, in verses 7 through 10, God knows us continually. There's not a place we can go in this universe that God is not there and he already knows where we are. And yet God knew us prophetically. Verses 13 to 16, God had formed you in the womb and knew every intricate part of you. Now, you know what's amazing about Psalm 139? Is David wrote this before science ever caught up with what we know. David wrote this before ever an understanding of the DNA DNA code was there. David wrote this before neurological scientists came along and understood the aspect of the body, but my God knew everything about you and knows, and he takes care of you. He's the God, I want you to notice, not only that knows everything, but according to verse 28, he is the God who is all-powerful. Note the phrases there in verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, get this, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. You know, we sang this morning, 
how our God is a great God. Did you mean that when you saying that this morning? You might not even know what you're saying, but I want to tell you, everything you see out here, the beautiful flowers, the beautiful, the sun at nighttime, I tell you, the old, one of, there was not many joys of not having electricity, but on those nights as I would sit outside and I could see all the stars. I got my family out there. I said, look at all that up there, how God has created all of that. That God knows you and is powerful enough to carry you through the situations of life. You know, I mentioned earlier about Job. Job was a very righteous man. In fact, the Bible tells us so. But Job was a man that got a little frustrated during the process. And towards the end of Job's life, Job began questioning God and saying, all right, God, I think somehow there's been some dirty deal done on my behalf, and I don't get it, and I'm not sure what's going on. And God's answer comes back to Job. And when you begin reading Job chapter 38, 39, coming in the beginning of part of chapter 40, God begins to answer Job, and he actually asks him a series of questions. Where were you when I created all that you see? Do you know when certain animals give birth and how things go with them? Do you see where all the clouds are stored up? Did you know how I made all the majestic mountains that that you see around you? And God begins to share with Job his mighty power. And you know what Job does at the end? Job stands, stands back and basically answers God in Job 42, verse 2. He says, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. You know what Job's problem was? Job thought that God was so powerful that he didn't know and didn't care. But you know what he found out? He found out that God was powerful and he was awesome enough to care. Can I remind you today that God knows, God's all powerful, and he cares about your need. Question number three, what does God want from me? Look at verse number 31. We looked at the first phrase, but they that wait upon the Lord. Now notice the next part, shall renew their strength. Third question, what does God want from me? Well, he wants to renew my strength. What does that mean? We might think that, well, God will just add to what I already have. He'll build up my strength. He'll give me more of just what I'm able to offer. But I want you to know something, that the word renew is a very interesting word, and it has this idea of exchanging something. In other words, the the very word picture is if I were to take some dirty clothes and exchange them for clean clothes, I would make an exchange. I would give up what I have and I would take something that would be better. That's the word renew. It's the idea of exchanging. So what is God asking or what does he want for me to do? He wants me to exchange my strength. Well, whose strength do I exchange it for? 
I exchange it for God's strength. Because you realize that every area that I need help, I am going to exchange what I think I can do, and I'm going to exchange it for what God can give me and what He can do. For instance, I need wisdom, don't you? Boy, there's a lot of wisdom that is needed in making decisions. And many times we rely upon, well, I'm a smart person. I've been educated. I've lived a certain amount of time. I want to tell you something. I don't care how long you lived. I don't care how many degrees you have. Nothing can prepare you what we've just gone through in the last couple of weeks. But that's why God says in James 1 verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, my hand's up. My hand's up. I lack wisdom. Absolutely. So what I'm doing here before God in Him renewing my strength is I'm saying, God, I'm dumb when it comes to all this. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any wisdom, and so therefore I'm going to discard that. Would you give me your wisdom? Amen. And you know what God promises to those who ask? He'll give it to you liberally. He won't hold back and say, well, I'll dole out a little today. No! God is going to give it to you because you need it. Think about this. God is going to give you guidance. He's going to give you strength. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. One of the first verses I ever learned as a young Christian. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know what we're to do? Not lean on our own understanding. Not take a hold of what I think, but I'm to rely upon God. Now, the fourth question, according to verse 31, how will God do this for me? Let me begin at the beginning of the verse again. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, notice here the last part of this verse. There are three different metaphors or pictures. Look at this. The Bible says, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And the third picture is, they shall walk and not faint. Now, all three of these metaphors are descriptive of three natural impossibilities. One of them is of flying. The other two of walking or running without getting tired. Can I say to you today that it is impossible, no matter how good of a shape that you're in, no matter how athletic you are, no matter how you might train for these type of things, what Isaiah mentions in the last part of verse 31, it is impossible for you to do in your own strength. It's impossible. And what the prophet is telling us is in order for you to overcome the difficulties in your life, to live above the tough times of your life, you and I must ask God for his strength and his power to accomplish the things that we cannot do on our own. You say, preacher, I can't do it or I just can't go on. Well, you're making a statement of fact. That's true. But I want to tell you, there's a God who we serve who knows you and is all-powerful, and He will help you accomplish what you cannot do. 
As I close today, I came across a story recently about a man who actually had raised a young eagle with a flock of chickens. Now go figure that. I'd like to know how that all happened, but anyways, trying to raise an eagle with a flock of chickens. That out-of-place bird had never learned to fly. And one day the man thought, well, I'm going to teach this eagle how to fly. So he would take that eagle and he would throw it up in the air. But each time that bird would look down at the ground and would fall to the ground. Then he came across an idea after a number of days. As he got up there and he lifted that bird, he began to lift the eaglet's head and he made it catch a glimpse of the bright sun above. And you know what? That did it. That eagle, when he saw the sun, pushed out his wings, and he lifted up his head, and with a shriek, jumped out of the hand of that owner and began to soar higher and higher until it was lost in the face of the sun. Can I say today, there are many Christians who find themselves in a very similar state. If you and I would just get our focus off of what's on the ground. You see, the reason that we're not soaring for God and accomplishing the things He wants us to is because we're focused on that house that has problems. We're focused on that hardship and that trial. And all we're doing is looking here. And as long as you look this way, you'll never accomplish what God wants you to. But my friend, I want you to look at not the sun, S-U-N, but the sun, S-O-N. God in heaven, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, and wants to give you his wisdom, his strength, his guidance, so you can do what needs to be done. And as a testimony was given earlier, that we would fulfill the job that we have to be a light to our community. Now today... I'm mindful of the fact that there are a couple of different groups of people in this room. Doesn't matter where you live, where, you, what you, how, where you've been born, doesn't matter what economic status you have, doesn't matter any of the stuff that our world classifies people in, God sees two groups of people. Those that are born again in Jesus Christ and those that are lost on their way to a devil's hell. Can I say to you that God right now is letting you know, first of all, to those that are unsaved, God wants to be your Savior. And to those that are saved, God wants to be your Savior, not since in the eternal life aspect because you've already trusted in Him, but He wants to be your Savior to lift you up above the struggles of life. You know, it's interesting about the prophet who wrote this book, Isaiah. His name means God is my salvation. God is my salvation. So today, as we've talked about this aspect of you not relying upon yourself, but relying upon God, I want to talk to those that are here today. If I were to ask this question, if you were to perish in this storm and you stood before God, and God were to ask a question like this, 
Why should I let you into my heaven? What's your answer? Now, can I say to you that if your answer is anything other than your faith and commitment to Jesus Christ who died for your sins, then you're giving a wrong answer. Because there is nothing, you get that word? There is nothing you or I can do to gain favor with God to get to heaven someday. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. You know why it's not of works? Because if you and I could get to heaven by our own, the rest of the verse says that we would be up there bragging in heaven. Woo, look at how good I am. I made it to heaven. I'm glad I went to church 52 times out of the year. No, no, we don't get to heaven by what we do. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, it's not of you. It's of God. I remember close to 18 years old when I prayed to receive Christ as my Savior. I thought I was going to heaven because I grew up in a Christian home. I had gone to church all through my years. Now, inside, I was living like I wanted to live, and I could have cared less about God. But I thought, because I went to church, because I grew up in a Christian home, I thought I was going to heaven. And then God, as it were, hit me over the head with a two-by-four. And I kind of woke up out of my daze, and I came to a realization that I was a sinner, that Jesus died for me, and that if I'm going to go to heaven that I must place my commitment and faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. I couldn't trust in myself. So I'd like to ask you here today, do you know Jesus as your Savior? I trust you do. Christian, I want to encourage you, rise up above the struggle. Rise up above the troubles. And also put your faith and trust in Him. Let's bow our heads, please, and close our eyes as we come to this very important time of our service, and it's what we call our invitation. I often say here, this is not original with me, but I don't preach necessarily for information. I preach for transformation. I long to see people take the Word of God and allow it to change their life. So as I've talked to you today and I ask that question, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? I'd like you to go ahead and do this. If you could say, Pastor, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I died and God said, why would you let me know your heaven? I would say, because I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. How many would say today, I'm born again, I'm saved, and I know it. Would you lift your hand nice and high for just a moment? God bless you. You may put your hand down. It's very possible you couldn't lift your hand today. If you're here today and you could not raise your hand, you don't know, you're doubtful about whether you go to heaven, I'd like to invite you right now to open up your heart and ask the Lord to save you. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? You can do it right in your seat right now. The first thing you've got to do is acknowledge that you're a sinner. Second, you've got to acknowledge that your sin will keep you from heaven and that there's nothing you can do to remove your sin penalty. But Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you would, by faith, receive him as your Savior, 
He would forgive you of all your sins and become your personal Savior. If you're here today and say, Preacher, I'd love to go to heaven. I'd like to have my sins forgiven. I'd like for Jesus to be my Savior. I want to invite you right now to pray this sinner's prayer. As I pray it out loud, I'm going to pray it in short phrases. I want you to pray it to yourself. Now, please understand there's no magic in the words. This is not some hocus pocus. This is an idea of that you pray with your mouth, but you believe this with your heart. You believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. 